This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Now we turn to the winter and your health. With the cold comes an increased risk of heart attacks, colds and flus, as well as seasonal affective disorder, frostbite, hypothermia, and the risk of falls. To sort it all out and take your questions, we've got our house doctor, Zachary Levine. As usual, he'll be taking your questions. So let me just give the numbers again. 416-360-0740, toll-free 740 Hi, Zach. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, have you seen an uptick of uh, any of these things in your emergency ward yet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So I think in terms of where I work, uh, the main things, uh, we see a lot of heart attacks for sure, and we're starting to see that increase in viral infections, whether it be cold or flu, and then falls for sure, unfortunately falls on a slippery day. We have a lot of falls and broken bones. So those are the, those are the top ones around here. I think in more rural, when I, when I used to work up north and when I do go to more uh, ur- uh, rural type of places, you see a lot more of the frostbite and the hypothermia. But around here, you, usually people get to uh, get to warmth, but not always. Not not always. We do see that from time to time. Usually involving um, you know intoxications. Uh, now, here in Toronto, it is the first snowfall, and that means people are shoveling, and shoveling often brings a spate of heart attacks. So, uh, can you give us some advice on people who are going out to shovel, and future shoveling? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because, you know, people thought, I think I thought that it was just, you know, it was just an urban myth that there's more heart attacks that people shoveled, went out and shoveled their snow and had heart attacks. But it turns out that actually there is a a significant increase in heart-related deaths in the winter, like 5 to 30 percent, depending on the study, and up to 50 percent more heart attacks in winter. And the reasons being, uh, number one, well, there's two things that work together. One is people are active, people who maybe haven't been so active in the last few months, suddenly get out there and they do this heavy lifting, which is cardiovascular exercise as well as muscular exercise. And the other thing is just it being cold, that causes the veins to uh, constrict, to become smaller, and increases blood pressure. And blood, blood actually clots more easily as well. So all these things together do increase the risk of heart attacks. Basically, the, the advice, the best advice is to, uh, you know, start slow, you know, start slowly and uh, and then if you find that you're able to do more and more and more, uh, then, yes, you can do your snow shoveling and whatnot. I probably wouldn't start with snow shoveling. First, you know, start with some nice walks outside in, in the pleasant air and keep warm. And the other, the other thing that contributes to it, of course, is, you know, there's often stress. that People often gain a bit of weight. They eat more so, uh, salt and they eat more fat. And sometimes they drink a bit too much. And so if you can moderate on those things as well, uh, it's sort of a perfect storm in terms of putting people's hearts at higher risk and at higher strain. So if you can moderate things, including the exercise, that's the best way to keep yourself out of trouble, I think. What about warming up for snow shoveling? Is there something, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's like we got a big 
dump here and people they have to shovel. Yeah. So so what should you do? I mean if if you know maybe you're not in shape but but what can you do to at least warm up a little bit? Well, you can certainly do some stuff either outdoors or indoors. You can do some things indoors just sort of like calisthenics. You can just walk around the house, do some jumping jacks. Uh, just to get the blood flowing, or you can go for a walk outside. As long as you're, uh, you know, dressed properly, go for a walk for, before you go out and start lifting heavy snow. Just go for a little walk first, get the blood flowing, get your heart warmed up, and then after that, if you're feeling fine, you know, start. You can start moving a bit of snow. Don't start with very with huge amounts of very heavy wet snow. You know, it's better to start with the lighter snow and smaller amounts, and and shovel more as opposed to you know want to sh- if you want to shovel a huge amount with every shovel that that's that's too much so and start, and there's start, so. you know you can kind of drag it more than lifting it right yes absolutely you can you can definitely drag it again uh if it becomes too much uh if you're starting to have a strain like starting to have pain in your back that's when you should stop because sometimes you're dragging you're dragging you're dragging and you end up with such a big head of steam and so much snow in front of you it becomes too heavy so push it if you can push it out of the way that's great but if it comes too heavy, and any of the symptoms, not just back pain, but if you're starting to have, obviously, chest pain or shortness of breath, you, got, you have to stop. Uh, I'd also like to turn to the risk of falls. I saw a consumer survey that was a little disturbing that um, a bunch of different brands of boots were tested for their ability, like their good traction in, on ice and snow, and most of them failed. Oh, wow. That's very interesting, actually. I'd like to read that. Yes, so, I mean, we see the emergency department is where people go uh, when they have a fall and, unfortunately, uh, when they injure themselves. And that often happens. It can happen any time, but it it tends to happen, especially when it's been a bit milder. If the snow melts a bit, you have some, and then there's, like, freezing overnight. And in the morning, everyone goes out walking, and they they can't even see that there's a layer of ice there. And it's a problem. So, So number one is, yes, trying to find things with good treads. Uh, number or maybe number one is just being careful generally, you know, having a general sense that it might be slippery out there and, uh, you know, putting out things that are, that in your own property, putting out things that are rough. So either some people use rocks or gravel and some people use salt, uh, something that can actually cut through the ice and give you a little more grip. And just going going slowly, you know, I, you know don't, don't just run out your door if it's a, a suddenly freezing day when it might be covered in ice because... Uh, as as you know, as many people know, you know if you if you do fall and break something, the classic one is a hip. Uh, that you know that's really uh, it's a long time uh, to recover, and some people never recover the same function that they had. So, an ounce of prevention, of course, is uh, much better than anything. Yeah. The the other thing, and uh, I just did a Zoomer report on this, and I'd actually like to hear from our listeners about this. The numbers four one six three six zero zero seven forty toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. And it's a study out of British Columbia that Zoomer men, men over fifty, are most likely to have preventable injuries around the house at Christmas time because. They're thinking, yeah, I've got this. I've done this a thousand times before, you know, when they're decorating or putting lights up on the tree. And instead of coming down off the ladder and moving the ladder, they reach a bit more, maybe like they used to when they were 25. And uh, this results in preventable falls. Do you see uh, a lot of holiday-related injuries, Zach? We certainly do see some. And, you know, when they're indoors, uh, it can be pretty bad. It's even worse. Sometimes people are using a ladder outside, 
and they're putting up the holiday lights, you know, on, on the edge of the roof, and then they're a good, you know, 15 feet above the ground, and they can fall and injure themselves then. So that's another one that we see. And, yes, I mean, and, you know, in general, uh, men, unfortunately, you know, even in the younger years, the, the men have a uh, much higher risk of violent injuries and death. There's a lot of uh, years of life lost but for men doing dangerous things. And I guess it doesn't end uh, in, in the younger years, I guess. And the, and the other thing is, yes, as, as there are physical limitations and people don't necessarily, aren't necessarily any more careful, that uh, puts them in danger of more serious injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are the other things? I mean, there is seasonal affective disorder. Uh, does that set in at the beginning of the winter? It's, I guess, a lack of light makes people kind of depressed, or, or does it usually take a little while? Well, yeah, so that's exactly right. It's people who, it's basically depression. It's The symptoms are the exact same as depression, except it has a seasonal variability, and it has been, it has been seen that some people uh, are quite effective by the decrease in sunlight. And so, and yes, it, it starts usually in fall as the days get shorter, and then it usually is full-blown by the time winter uh, rolls around. And, it, and when they actually look at different places, like the, uh, the prevalence of it in Florida is 1.4% as opposed to 10% in Alaska, so seems to be uh, a relationship there. And, so, and by midwinter, some people are feeling very depressed, and, and the people who respond, so in terms of the depression, it's treated the same way, you know, so therapy, medications, but in addition, people who are light-sensitive it's recommended that they get a light box, and they use this light therapy, which are you know you can buy it at different places. It just needs to have 10,000 lux of light, as little UV light as possible, because that you don't need that to feel better, but it, that's still damaging to the skin and the eyes. And, you, and ideally, you use it 20 or 30 minutes soon after waking, and not you don't uh, you should be able to see it. Your eyes should be open, but it shouldn't be directed directly into your eyes. And in some people, it's very effective. Um. What other things should people look out for in the winter, and and how can they deal with it before they have to get to you? Yeah, so I you may have uh, you may have talked about this a lot already, so you can stop me, of course. But you know the thing, I, I, more than any of the things we've mentioned is uh, is these viral illnesses, and we see a lot of them. You know, colds, flus, flus. Uh, you know, certainly, I'm a proponent of the flu shot, um, and one of but one of the things that's I think interesting that people don't necessarily know because some of us tough it out when we're sick and we go to work. I know I've done that in the past. And the problem is it's, you're, you're maybe helping somewhat the uh, whatever work get done, but you're putting other people at risk. And the viral shedding actually begins, this you can't prevent, but you actually start shedding, so sharing this virus with other people a day before your symptoms appear. So as soon as you have symptoms, you know you should stop going to work. And, and you still are infective uh, for up to five to seven days after the beginning. So for a good week, if you have, this is for the flu, you're, you're infected for a good week, and really you should, you should stay home. And the higher your fever, actually, it correlates. So the higher the fever, the more infective you are. And it's important that people know that every year 10 to 25% of Canadians get the flu, and between 500 and 1,500 die from it. Yeah, so, yeah, and it's especially dangerous for Zoomers. My, my question is always this. I mean, uh, I, mean I get a flu shot. Uh, how do I even know if it's the flu or if it's just a cold or just something? I, I, you know, honestly can't tell the difference. Yeah, and, you know, you can't necessarily tell the difference. I mean, the flu is usually just more severe. So usually instead of a low-grade fever, you have very high-grade fever. 
the cough, the sore throat, the runny, uh, runny nose, you can get with either one. Typically, you have muscle and body aches that are worse with the flu than with uh, a cold, uh, headaches and fatigue. But all, you're right, all the symptoms can be present with a cold. It's just a matter of the severity. Usually people with influenza are really knocked, knocked out. You know, they just feel like they can't move. The temperature, their fever tends to be quite high. And, um, and so, and, and the problem happens if, you know, if people are unable to, if you're vomiting so much that you can't take fluids in, if you're, if ever, obviously you're, you're getting drowsy or a stiff neck or chest pain, shortness of breath, those are the times when you have to come into the hospital. And there, there is treatment, even if you don't, uh, whether or not you've had the flu shot, um, there, there's a medication called Tamiflu or also Tamivir, which we, which we, we give, but it's still not, it's not a quick cure. It lessens the symptoms and shortens the illness by one or two days. Okay, Zach, let's uh, go to the phones. We've got uh, Rita in Toronto. Hi, Rita. Oh, hi. Good morning. Good afternoon, actually. Thank you. Uh, I would like to know why do we change the time? Like, uh, swing ahead, fall back. Uh, uh, is, uh, why are we changing the time? Why can't we stay on one time zone? <laughs> well, I am really getting sick, to be honest, really, really getting sick uh, at uh, uh, fallback time. Yeah. Okay, Zach will answer. There's a lot of noise on your line, Rita, so I'm going to let you go and let Zach answer. So uh, not to say, uh, you know, I can't take credit. It's not really a medical... Uh, yeah, I know. It's I not do. up to us. <laughs> but however, uh, what Rita is sort of getting at this whole seasonal affective issue and the issue, and so the reason that the reason they do it, the, the primary reason that I know of is that there, so that there is light in the morning, so the days shorten, and so when people wake up, it's not uh, it's not sort of pitch black until seven or eight in the morning, and that's the primary reason. But the sacrifice, of course, is that in the winter it gets dark very early. You know, in the in the dead of winter, we're talking four thirty or even earlier, and so I think that's the reason. But the problem is, for many people, that means less hours of sunlight. And some people are very sensitive to it, as we mentioned, and maybe Rita is too, and so that's that's a problem. Libby, you may know other reasons as well. Okay, let's go. I think we'll have time, hopefully, for one more. And We've got Joan in St. Catharines. Hi, Joan. Hello. Um, I would like to talk to Dr. Zach about a problem I have with a sciatic nerve problem. Okay, uh, very quickly, because we have yeah. uh, a minute and a bit left. Okay, well, I was wondering if you could just give me your thoughts on like what you can do to help it. Absolutely. So sciatic nerve, and Joan, thanks for bringing it up, just because it's, it's so common. You know, so many people uh, suffer from it, it, and it causes severe pain and quite a bit of disability. You know, people can actually be disabled by it. I would, so basically, you know, the, the quick answer is the most effective treatment that I have seen is a, a really good uh, physiotherapy. So if you can get yourself to a, a really excellent physiotherapist, that's the best. You know, there are medications for sure that can help both pain medications and anti-inflammatories. Some people will actually, and there are some injections that are sometimes used, but, but a good physiotherapist can work on the muscles, the strength and the agility and, uh, of the muscle surrounding the nerve such that it can take the burden off the area that is inflaming the nerve and, and thereby decrease the pain quite significantly and increase people's function very significantly. So for me, that's, that's the number one go-to treatment. Okay, uh, we have less than a minute left. Um, Colin, can you uh, ask your question in 30 seconds? Yeah, quick question. Um, I've had uh, so-called elevated blood pressure actually for decades, 
and uh, I don't get headaches. I feel fine. I exercise. I don't get tired. You know, but they say, oh, you're at risk. It's a silent killer. Um, you know, uh, but I've had this for decades, and I feel fine. It's just the way I am. Okay, let's uh, have Zach answer, because okay, we've got 20 seconds. Thanks. Uh, listen, Colin, I mean, I mean, it's great that you're in good health. If it's really quite elevated, you know, it should come down, because it does put your risk, uh, even if you don't feel it. I mean, it's still, you know, you can be very healthy and have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, any of those things. But if you can get it down, it just, over the years, it will decrease your risk of developing something really serious. So just check in with your doctor about it. Okay. Dr. Zach, good advice. Thank you for that. (laughs) Thanks, Libby. Have a good one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.